0: If God is all-powerful, why do we suffer? If He's all-powerful and all-good, maybe that's a better question. Why do we suffer? You see, there can be an all-powerful God, but what if He's not all-benevolent, and therefore He doesn't really care about us, and therefore He sees our suffering and just says, so what? But we proclaim that God is an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-benevolent God, and so in light of that, why am I his child? Why do we suffer? Why, why do God's children suffer? I think it's a good question and a fair question. And I think there's an answer given to us from an Old Testament passage, Exodus chapter 14. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn it there as we look tonight together at this passage from Exodus 14. Between the devil and the deep red sea. There's an occasion in the history of Israel where Moses led the children out of Egypt, and uh, they found themselves in a very precarious situation. They were backed up against the Red Sea. The Egyptians were, you know, making way against them, and they were scared. And it would have been a very difficult place to have been in. And uh, why would God, who delivered them, put them through that? There are times when we suffer that really, I mean, we despair of life itself. Maybe some of you have been in a situation where you felt like it would just be easier just to die just to go on. In the book of Job, chapter 3, I think it's interesting as Job talks about his situation after he loses his family and his livelihood and everything, his servants, his wife tells him to curse God and die. Everything is gone. Just all of a sudden, what weight must have been on his shoulders? And he's here a servant of God. And so he starts to um, think, think out loud in in Job chapter 3. And he begins by saying, you know what? Why did my mom have to conceive me in the first place? Would it not have been better if her womb would have remained barren so that I wouldn't have had to have faced this? And, okay, well, she gives birth to me. Why didn't I die in birth? Would that not have been a better fate for me? And then he goes on and says this. If you look at Job chapter 3 and verse 20, He said, why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter of soul who long for death, but it doesn't come? And they search for it more than hidden treasures who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. That's what Job thinks of life at this point. He said, why in the world, why do I live? Why can't I just die? Why can't I find the grave? And when I, the day I die, the day I find the grave, man, it's going to be the best day of my life. I'm going to rejoice greatly. He goes on and says in verse 25, For the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease and I am not quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. Here's a man who is a faithful child of God and he despairs of life because of the circumstances that he found himself in found himself in and he's wanting to know God why why am i suffering like this why are you allowing me to go through this and put me through this and the same question can be asked in the context of Exodus 14, and I want us to look there because what I see happening to the people of Israel as they escape Egyptian bondage might give us insights as to why we suffer and maybe even give us some perspective so that when we do suffer, we don't suffer in despair. We suffer with purpose and, and can make good come of it. So let's look at the story in, in Exodus chapter 14, and we'll begin with this. That God had a plan. You remember he raised up Moses and he found him in the wilderness and uh, he spoke to him in that burning bush and he said, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell, them, tell him, let my people go. He had a purpose for, Pharaoh, or for Moses to be the deliverer and this all finally comes about. There's plagues and, and all the, the things and finally Pharaoh says, go. And Moses leads the people away. But he's not leading without God's direction. God specifically tells him in Exodus 14, verse 2, he tells them where to camp. And what he told them to do and where he told them to camp, there are a couple Egyptian strongholds to the north of them. To the west is the, the Red Sea. To the south is desert. And here come the Egyptians to the east. They're boxed in. There's nowhere to go. And they are angry. You see, their firstborn has just been killed. Pharaoh had allowed them to leave out of frustration and, and let him go. But now his heart is hardened and he said, let's get him back. And I don't know, you know, we can read these stories and we miss the the fear and the emotion that had to have been wrapped up in those situations. But imagine yourself being an Egyptian, having no military, having no army, you're just out there in the middle of nowhere with the things that you grab together. You've been slaves for 400 years and, and you, you haul your, yourself over here and the enemy's coming and they're angry and they're coming with chariots and it's not going to be good. And there's nowhere to run, there's nowhere to hide there's wilderness to the south where you die. There's the Red Sea here. There are these Egyptian places up here. There's nowhere to go. You're boxed in. Why is this a part of God's plan? Why didn't He deliver His children of Israel right away in a way that gave them peace you know, and security? The answer is in verse 4. Listen to what God says in, in verse 4. Then I'll harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them and I will gain honor and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. You see, God had a purpose. God wanted to show Egypt that he's in control and that Pharaoh may claim to be all that and more. He's nothing when compared to God. And so God put his children in a very difficult situation and said, listen, the reason I'm doing this is so that I can use this as an opportunity to show the rest of the world that I am God, not Pharaoh. What if when we suffer, we could have that understanding that maybe why I'm suffering is an opportunity to demonstrate to those who are onlookers that God is God and that He loves me and that He is all-powerful and that little things like sickness and, and death and heartache, they don't destroy my faith. What if I could view the hardships that come my way as a tool in the hand of God to demonstrate to other people that There's reason to be a child of God. There's hope and security and trust when circumstances are awful. What if that's what God's wanting to show through your life and through your circumstances that you would never choose for yourself, and they're hard, and sometimes they cause you to despair? Wouldn't it help you if you realize that God has a plan? And that he's using that to bring about his glory in the long run. And that it's not just a a circumstance that is out of everybody's control, but it's part of God's eternal plan behind the scene. But that's what is taking place here. God calls the children out to a very difficult place. And as they're seeing the dust rising and kicking up, as the army approaches, man, that had to have been terrible, terrifying. Husbands thinking about what will happen to their wives and thinking about what will happen to their children. It must have been a time of uh, unease. Well, let's look at how the people reacted to God's plan. In Exodus 14, and verse well, verses 10 through 12, we see that as Pharaoh grew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. That's good. Here are the children of Israel. They're back up against the Red Sea. They're, they're camping, and they look up, and what they see the Egyptians coming. I don't know if they saw the, the plume of the dust across the desert, but they see the enemy is coming, and they know there's nowhere to go. And when they see that, what do they do? They cry out to God. Isn't that what we should do? When difficult times come our way, when when we're placed in a very difficult, and we don't know how to fix it, lift up your voice to God. Ask for His help. Ask for His guidance. Ask for His strength. Ask for His peace. Cry out to God. That's what they did. But they didn't stop there. They cried out to God. But look as you continue to read, verse 11, Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to that we should die here in the wilderness. All right, they started out great. Oh, no, look, it's the Egyptians. What do we do? Lord, help us. But they didn't stop there. They cried out to God, but then they cried out against Moses. And they shouldn't have done that. It wasn't Moses' fault. Moses was doing precisely what God told him to do. He's just their leader and leading as God. You know, sometimes we we hurt the people that are trying to help us. I told you this before, but when we were living in Glasgow, I, I, I had a dog that got hit by a car and its leg was broken and I went out to try to help pick it up and that dog bit me. It was my dog. You know why it bit me? because it was in pain and and you know hurt people hurt people and, and that's what happens and and that dog was hurt and, and so it lashed out. And these people are hurting and not only do they cry out to God, which was good, but they lashed out against Moses and they accused him of all kinds of things that just weren't true. They, they made up a case against Moses that just wasn't valid. It wasn't better to serve them, the Egyptians in Egypt. It, it was, they had been delivered and they're wanting to go back. Let's learn to be like Jesus. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, there's that passage that says that we should walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Now, we can use that in a broad context, and that's really not what it's talking about in the broad context. In the media context, he's talking about suffering. We need to do what Jesus did when we're called upon to suffer. And what did Jesus do? He opened on his mouth. He didn't rail on anybody. He didn't, he didn't say words that he later regretted. He, he, he kept his mouth closed. He didn't lash out against anybody. But he did cry out to God for help. We need to learn that. We can see from their mistake, you know, what they did or what they started to do, that was great. Call out to God, great, do that. When you're called upon to suffer, understand it may be a part of God's plan. Sure, call out to Him for strength and comfort and peace and assurance. But don't lash out. When you're hurting, don't lash out to people that probably are the people that are trying to help you. And then look at the third thing in this story. There was God's protection. God had a plan. And he didn't intend for all these plagues and this whole movement of these people out into the wood. He didn't have a plan that that would just all go defunct right there. He's going to take care of them. He didn't do all that for nothing, just to buy a couple months and then have them all destroyed in the wilderness. What was God's plan? Again, look, uh, you know, as you go through verse thirteen and through really the rest of the chapter, he says again. I'm going to be glorified in this event. There are people that are watching. The nations are watching. The Egyptians know that their army has been sent forth and they're going up against these people that are a ragtag band of recently freed slaves. I am going to make it obvious that I am alive and well and that I have all power. And he was working on their behalf, sometimes not so obvious, sometimes obviously. I mean, look at the plagues. How can they forget that so soon? This same God who put them where they were is the same God who did those ten plagues? Why are you doubting so soon? And this pillar of fire and cloud that led them, Imagine what it would have been like to have been an Israelite, because as you read the chapter, that pillar of cloud that was in front of them just picked up and moved over top of them and, and came and rested over here to serve as a barrier before that on, oncoming army and them. It, it bought them time. Would you not at that point say, it's going to be okay, God's on our side. To the Egyptians, he made it seem like darkness. They didn't dare enter through this. But on the other side, that cloud provided the Israelites light, and they crossed the Red Sea that night on dry ground. And he he slowed their progress by knocking the wheels off the Egyptian chariots, wouldn't you, if you were an Egyptian, having gone through ten plagues, and then there's this pillar of cloud that just kind of camps right in front of you and dares you to come on, and then your wheels start falling off your chariots? Wouldn't you be thinking, mm, "I, I don't know if I want to do this? But God had a plan, and he was going to protect them. Even though it didn't seem apparent to them how that was going to all shake out, I mean, they're in the middle of a difficult place. They're between the devil and the Red Sea. How's God going to fix this? They didn't know. But surely, there's enough evidence to see that God will take care of His people and had a plan to do so. Can we not have that kind of confidence and trust in God today? Can we not see the character of God as it's illustrated to us time and time again in Scripture and know that even though I'm Answers that I really do not like and I don't understand, I still trust God. It's going to be okay. Oh, it may hurt a while and it may drive me to my knees and I might cry out to God for help and peace and comfort, but it's going to be okay. That's the way we need to view our lives when difficulties come. There are times when Habakkuk, well, Habakkuk chapter 1 in, in Habakkuk chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 2 through 4, you know he says, How long, O Lord? How long are you going to let this wickedness proceed? How long are you going to turn your ears to those who are crying out to you? The same thing in Revelation 6 and verse 10. How long, O Lord, how long until you avenge our blood? There are times when I don't understand the plan of God. And I find myself in the middle of difficult circumstances. But can I not learn to trust them? That's what these people did. And then notice after God delivers them, they cross the Red Sea. We know what happens. The Egyptians trying to cross too. The waters fell back over them and uh, they're delivered. And they see the power of God and so do the nations. And it, they were put in a difficult position to demonstrate to the world that God is God. It was worth it at the end of the day. God is glorified. The people's reaction, look at Exodus chapter 14 and verse 31. Then Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses. When you come through a trial and you see God's faithfulness through it all and sense and meaning, you can sometimes get your arms around it. We glorify God. Let me just say this. When, when you're called upon to suffer, when things happen in your life that just you know, drive you to your knees, don't curse God. Don't doubt God. Don't think that He doesn't love you. Rather, look at what has happened through the context of you being used as an instrument in the hands of God to demonstrate to others that God is good and that He is powerful. And faith can sustain us in the midst of all circumstances. A.W. Tozer wrote a number of years ago, and I've always remembered reading after I read what he said, but he he used an illustration. He said, the hammer is a useful tool, but the nail. If the nail had intelligence and could speak, the nail would tell you that it is nothing but a relentless opponent that takes every opportunity to bash its head in, and to pound it down into the wood to where it's not even seen. But Tozer said, if only the nail could see that the hammer is held by the carpenter, the architect, and that with each stroke, there is purpose, and there is intent, and it's not random. And that it's being beat into place to create something in the mind of the, the builder that will have purpose and usefulness and meaning. If the nail could just but see that, it wouldn't view the hammer as an opponent. But it would simply view it as another tool in the hand of the master builder. And I think that's helpful as we undergo trials and heartaches in life. You know, things happen to us and we say, that was horrible. I never want to go through that again. That was so awful. And sometimes we despair and get angry with God. But what if, instead of just seeing the event and the hurt that it brings us, what if we could view those events as instruments in the hand of God? And as He's trying to to bring into place and create this masterpiece, can we not trust Him? That when I suffer, there's purpose behind it. And there's a plan, and God can be glorified amidst the nations. These children of Israel learned in a very difficult way to trust God. They were put in a difficult situation. They did not like it, but they come out on the other side and they praise God and they listen to his servant Moses. I want that to be the way we react to suffering. Let's let suffering that we face in life drive us to our knees. If that's what it takes, let it drive you to your knees. And cause you to call out to God. That's good. But don't lash out about, uh, against others. Cry out to God. Trust Him. And remember that what you're going through is a testimony to those in the world who are watching. Is there really anything to your faith? Can your faith really overcome the world? Right now, there's a woman... Where is it in Nigeria that claims you know, a Christian faith and she won't recant on that and is about to be put to death because of that? Is your faith strong enough to sustain you in the midst? The whole world is watching the faith that this woman has. What do we do when we have hardship come our way? The whole church, the whole world, your neighborhood, the people that know you, They're watching. What an opportunity to show what God means to you. That we don't despair. We keep right on going. We keep right on trusting in Him. We call out and glorify His name. And we trust in Him all the more. That's the proper response to suffering. And they didn't do it perfectly. But they end up where they need to be. And may we learn from some of their mistakes and may we also learn from some of the things that they did well so that when we are called upon to suffer, and we will be, and many have already been called upon, that we may face that suffering with the same calm, peaceful assurance and resolve to serve the Lord and bring glory to His name through suffering. I'd rather serve Him with good health And in pleasant circumstances, that's my rather. But I might, and I acknowledge that I might be able to serve him better through hardship and things that break my heart. That's not what I prefer. But if that's what I'm called to do, I accept the will of the carpenter and uh, see it all uh, as a part of God's grand scheme. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, why don't you give your life to Him and allow your life to be used as a providential tool in His hand. The things that happen to you from this day forward as you give your life to Jesus can be used to advance the glory of God. If you're outside of Christ and living in rebellion to Him, there's no purpose to your suffering. There, there's no hope at the end of your suffering that anything will work out for good, but to those who love God, whatever it is that we go through, we have a promise that at the end, it'll be all right. We'll be victorious. If you have not obeyed the gospel, do so tonight. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, we'll pray with you to the end that you'll be stronger, more faithful. If you just need to have the prayers of the church. Maybe there's some things going on in your life that have driven you to your knees, and it's time for you not to lash out, but to look up. We'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.